The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 39, Maid's Rest. There was a natural catwalk that traced its way out toward a heavy stone block at the center of the caldera. The beast men made their way carefully, for the slightest misstep would plunge them into the simmering magma below. Their shaman had been possessed by an ancient spirit who had, through the mouth of the shaman, revealed a complex path through the maze to them, to the spirit's own resting place at the very center of a bowl of molten rock. The journey's end was insanely dangerous, yet the impoverished beastmen were determined to recover the treasure the voice had spoken of. If there was half as much coin and wealth as they had been led to believe, they would eat again and more. They would be able to arm themselves and armor themselves and pay for their own retainers. They would have their own stronghold in the maze and their own slaves and their own soldiers. They gazed through the haze, through the steam coming up out of the bowl. Yes, there was a tomb resting on a dais, large enough to hold a person, large enough to hold 500 pounds of gold or more. The beastmen were crowded together on the strip of stone, for each wanted his chance at the hoard. Another six inches, and then again. A gust came up, and the shaman called for them to wait, yet the sudden command and the hard wind spoiled the balance of two of the first beastmen, and they fell. One of them landed on a lower rock. He broke his neck and was killed instantly. The second landed in the steaming orange morass where he was boiled instantly, alive. The others paid little mind. With these two done for, their takings would be all the greater. Under the shaman's sway, they continued their way to the coffin. The coffin was covered with a banner, and upon it was shown a powerful elder who held a globe within his hands, and two winged women came to him from either side. Also, careful inspection showed that there was a sword, somewhat rusty, plunged partly through the cloth and the lid near the foot of the tomb. How any of this happened to be here, they did not know, nor did they care. Before even being prompted by the spirit of the dead, three of the beastmen tore off the banner and began grasping at the coffin's lid, trying to pry it free with shaggy hands. The temperature was skyrocketing, and their fur was damp with sweat, and yet the grave still would not come open. All of a sudden, the shaman felt his eyes roll into the back of his head, and he began to froth at the mouth. One 
of his comrades grabbed him by a horn and demanded to know what was wrong with him. The shaman began to speak in tongues, seemingly in argument with himself, before violently breaking from his companion's grasp and grabbing at the hilt of the sword, trying to pull it free. The other beastmen looked on with dread fascination, seeing that although the sword would not come out, it could indeed be driven further down through the stone. The shaman struggled with it, repeating again and again, The sword is the key! The sword is the key! Before at last, the leader went alongside him and shoved him aside. With a mighty growl, the stronger beast man drove the blade down with all his might until it was all the way in, up to the hilt. It split the hidden stress point perfectly, causing the lid at last to fall off in two pieces to either side with a thud. Indeed, the blade had pierced all the way through to the bottom of the coffin as well, and broke it. The coffin came apart, and the coins inside, thousands upon thousands of them, began to spill out onto the ground and over their feet. The beastmen were filled with fevered excitement, and they began reaching for the jewels and the coins and began stuffing their sacks. Indeed, they did not notice when a skeletal form was revealed, for they were all stooped down to the ground in greed as they grasped and grabbed for every valuable. The beastmen further failed to notice that the very stone they were standing on had been, by design, split by the sword as well, and it was beginning to come apart, sinking them ever lower towards the sea of hot, burning magma. The skeleton, once a great paladin, was dressed in a fine tabard and white armor, and she rose up out of the coffin. When at last the evil creatures finally did notice, they lunged at her, and yet the sword was in an instant back in her hand, and there was no way that they could stand against her. The skeleton was not large, but she was supernaturally strong, and she stopped four beastmen in their tracks, sending them to hell. As the rest of the rabble retreated from the catwalk, the shaman was suddenly compelled to kneel before her. Control of his body was no longer his own, and somehow he began spilling from his lips the proper prayer for salvation as he awaited from her the killing blow. Yet it did not come. Instead, she put the sword into his hands and told him to go. Suddenly regaining his senses, the shaman did this, going fast to join his others as they scrambled across the narrow bridge. Those most laden amongst them could not keep their balance, and they fell. And as for the survivors, the last thing they saw was the skeleton, down on the platform below, bowing her head as if in prayer, whilst performing the sign of the cross on her forehead, heart, and shoulders. And then after, at last she sank to her final rest amidst the fire and amidst the dying screams of the vanquished.
a skeleton. Do you know who she was in life? The answer is coming on a future show. If you believe you know the answer, record it amongst your notes. And if your first guess is later revealed to be correct, then your insight shall be rewarded with a role for a transcendent rank. Yes now, traveler, mark it all down, and we shall see if you are correct in time. The Iron Round, copyright A. Lenzo, is an extreme reimagining of the fantasy setting and can be found at theironrealm.com and theironrealm.blogspot.com. Secrets of the Maze Master, Maze Master. What follows on tonight's Secrets of the Maze Master is one episode of a seven-part series on character stats within the Iron Realm. They are not a part of the Character 8 game experience, but are given as a reference to all those Maze Masters out there who may well be running their own solitaire games. Part 6. Intelligence A character's intelligence is a measure of his or her memory, general knowledge, planning, and problem-solving. Intelligence primarily determines a character's command over language. For example, a character with an intelligence score of 3 or lower has trouble speaking and is certainly incapable of reading or writing. A character with a 4 to 5 intelligence is capable of speech, but certainly cannot read or write. A character with a 6 through 8 intelligence has the capacity to write simple words in his or her native language, although this ability is only assumed if the character has been trained sometime prior in life. A character with an intelligence of 9 or higher is capable of reading and writing all languages known, although again training in reading and writing is uncommon, and perhaps the only character types automatically assumed to have this knowledge would be elves or wizards. An intelligence between 13 and 15 grants the ability to speak one additional language, while 16 to 17 grants two additional languages, 18, three additional languages, and 19, four additional languages. Aside from intelligence, the human character types, wizard, fighter, cleric, and thief, normally speak the language called Manish, and this language is normally shared too by halflings, elves, dwarves, and unime. Demi-human characters may start the game with the ability to speak yet more languages. For example, elves can speak elvish, orc, hobgoblin, and hyena man, while dwarves can speak dwarvish, goblin, kobold, and gnome. 
Intelligence also comes into play when a wizard needs to copy a spell from a scroll into his or her spellbook. Tribal Matters It is 10 a.m. on the 14th day of Primaris at the Cobalt Barracks 4127. 4331. The group is at minus one from thirst, and the Uname are at minus one for the malady. Meanwhile, Orson and Kailana have somehow made it through the night, despite the fact that they have descended into a catatonic state. They are fighting for their lives at the last stage of the malady, and each must make a successful save in order to return to the world of the living. First Kailana, 15, Kailana pulls through, begging for Len and begging for water. Orson gets a save too. 16, Lelena is overjoyed as he awakes having never once left his side during the darkest hours of the disease. The Yuname also provide their healing art to Treya and to Twyla, who were laid down unconscious during prior fights, and their healing is strong enough to allow both women to recover consciousness. The wounded of the group are as follows. Treya, 1 out of 5. Solus, 6 out of 8. Stockholm, 9 out of 10. Len, 2 out of 6. Temek, 5 out of 6. Iona, 4 out of 8. Paola, 4 out of 8. Nora, 6 out of 9. Twyla, 1 out of 6. And Nim, 4 out of 6. Kailana and Orson are badly devastated when they learn of their loved ones who have passed on to the void. Yet they try to keep busy immersing themselves in their spellcraft as their way of trying to avoid the dark reality which they have no hope of changing. This day Treya has memorized Aura Against Evil and Kailana takes Invisible Shield. Orson memorizes Reader of Magic and uses this power to examine the magic scrolls that have been extracted from Kai's spellbook. The first spell scroll is Reader of Magic, and this is of no special use to Orson, who already possesses the spell, but he will attempt to add Hovering Disc to his own spellbook which he shall be able to do on a successful intelligence roll. With an eight, he succeeds. The original magic scroll is immolated, and I have added Hovering Disc to Orson's spellbook. The group must now partake of food and water for the day. The group has enough rations for six days, so I will drop this to five. Likewise, I will take two rations from the supply of extras, and these go 
to the goblins. The goblins are also watered from the group's extra water skins. As for the rest of the group, they only have enough water for two more days. But the Yuna may believe that they may be able to find water in the steam cavern which is nearby. The group decides to investigate in two separate groups in order to minimize their time in the maze. None amongst them shall wear greater than leather armor. At 11 a.m., the first group goes, and they travel light, taking only weapons, shields, and a lantern just in case. The first group is led by Solus and Treya, and includes also Kailana, Len, Temek, Bardar, Amazar, and Yona. The second group is led by Stockholm, and also includes Kana, Paola, Lilena, Orson, Nora, Twyla, and Nim. The dice show that the first group encounters no trouble and reaches the steam cavern successfully. They go in carefully and they go in blind, listening for Treya's direction. Treya is able to guide them away from geysers which are about to blow for she is able to see their heat signature in advance of each eruption. The room itself is amazingly warm, some 85 degrees, and some members of the group have never known such warmth their whole lives and begin to sweat. There, it's wet, says Treya, and she directs each member to the wall, which is damp. At once, each member of the group presses his or her face to the wall and begins to lick it. This they do for a long time until at last their thirst is met. They have returned to the Kobold Barracks by noon and the second group is likewise able to hydrate without incident. When all the groups have returned, it is 3 p.m. Stockholm takes his time to converse with the goblins, and, by reason and by threats, he is ultimately able to discover that they are indeed holding the mother of the Yuname captive. We can release one of these goblins, and he can send a message to their king. The goblins are pretty heartless towards their own kind, but three for one is more of a bargain than the Goblin King is likely to ignore. Your plan is sound, says the wizard, though I would not attempt to enact it until first our group has returned to full strength. That's true, says Solus. There's no way for us to know what kind of tricks the goblins are going to play on us. I still don't trust them. Let's stay hidden a while more, until we're ready to make our move. From here on in, the groups cut their light, with Stockholm and Orson taking responsibility for watching over the goblins. There is an incident at the southern door at close to 6 p.m., but Amazar quickly reinforces it with door denial, and whatever the creatures were, they do not come through. The group reaches all the way to 10 p.m. 
which completes their 24 hours of rest, and each in the group who is wounded recovers another life point. I'm also removing three oil flasks from Paola's supply in order to account for the light used. The group consults with one another in preparation for the night, making arrangements for the coming watch. Eyes Vault. For centuries, there have been rumors of its existence. I tell you now that it is not a myth. An impenetrable vault made of black onyx deep in the tunnels. Hidden, guarded, warded. Inside are held the most elusive treasures, the rarest treasures, reserved for the greatest friends of the show. Pre-release podcasts every month give our greatest defenders secret knowledge of the future. Forewarned of those events yet to come, before anyone else on the planet. Meanwhile, the Iron Realm Solitaire Essentials and Gaming Guide is a must-have for every fan of the dungeon setting with all the rules and advice you need to take your own Iron Realm campaign to the next level. Masterfully compiled and illustrated the Solitaire Essentials and Gaming Guide is ready to print, to hard copy, or download to your computer, laptop, or mobile device. Plus, who knows what other rare items and extras will be dropped into the vault as time goes on. Get the key for those who have journeyed in the Iron Realm and wanted more. Rise to the call. Unlock the secrets of the Onyx Vault. Your long-awaited reward awaits. Get the key. Visit patreon.com slash theironrealm and be you rewarded. Access to the Onyx Vault is a gift from your Maze Master and appreciation for exemplary support of the Iron Realm. I thank you for your generosity and for your brave exploits in defense of the Iron Realm. The group sets its watches as follows. Ten to midnight, Solus and Len, Midnight to two, Treya and Paola. Two to four, Temek and Bardar. Four to six, Orson and Lilena. Six a.m. to eight a.m., Amazar and Kailana. Meanwhile, Stockholm will do Goblin Watch throughout the night and will take his rest 
beginning at 6 a.m. until the middle of the next day. The night is uneventful, and the group is able to pick up some new spells for the day. Amazar, Door Denial, and Orson, Invisible Shield. The group is under no penalties from the prior day, aside from the Uniman, whose sickness appears to be getting worse and worse. Even so, they are able to provide some healing to the group. Twyla recovers two life points, and Len recovers one. In the dark, during the early part of the day, the group takes rations, and also they choose to feed the goblins another meager meal. The goblins are also given some water from the group's extra water skins, and Nora keeps watch over them as the dwarf sleeps. By 2 p.m., the groups split into separate parties as they did the day before in order to visit the steam chamber. Again, they take no armor heavier than leather and possibly a shield, whilst also each taking a weapon as well as one lantern, tinderbox, and appropriate oil for the groups. Bardar takes out the spikes and the first group, led by Solus and Stockholm, head into the maze. Behind them, Kailana and Len. Behind them, Tamek and Bardar whilst the rear is brought up by Kana and Orson. As the group of eight slips into the tunnel, they are at first unaware that they are not alone. And yet as they pass in front of room 17, there is a rival group approaching from the north. Kana and Orson may each have a chance to hear this rival group approaching. Two dice. And no. Neither Kana nor Orson hear them coming. And so, as the group approaches the intersection, they are suddenly confronted by a group of beastmen. Solus and Stockholm suddenly have their weapons at the ready, and the rest of the group follows suit. Yet under-armored, and with the majority of their gear left behind, does the group even stand? Any chance against them? Legendary Powers Secret Paths The first seven paths are well known, yet beyond these there lie many secret paths. Seek and follow these as well, and allow your legendary power to achieve new heights Never before imagined. The eleventh path, Smite Disease. In the Iron Realm, plagues, maladies, and blights are an inescapable part of life, laying low tribes and races alike. Yet this 
evil exists upon the earth as well in many forms. For every one dollar donation you make to the battle against disease, award yourself two ranks of renown in-game. If you have instead volunteered in the service of treating or protecting the sick in your own sphere or elsewhere upon your world, award yourself ten ranks of renown for every hour you have given to the cause. The strong must look after the weak, do so, and be you rewarded. I thank you for your intention. You have been listening to The Iron Realm. If you would like to show your appreciation and support new episodes of The Iron Realm, visit patreon.com slash theironrealm and be you rewarded. Finally, tell your friends and spread the word about the world's first play-by-podcast RPG audio drama. Your fellow travelers and your maze master, thank you. From the eternal depths of the Iron Realm. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Realm! Good night, everyone.